Families like a flock, shepherding those who we love. Have you ever had a job where you did not have a clear job description? They pretty much just put you in that thing and said, go for it. It's miserable because you know the boss is going to come and check on you and you have no idea really what's expected and it's a nerve-wracking place to be. You may have heard about the surgeon who was saying, stay calm, John. It's just a little cut with a scalpel. No need to be nervous. The patient, thanks, John, or thanks, doc, but I'm not John. The surgeon said, I know, I am. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever been nervous? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. The fact is, I find that uh, over the years, especially when people are new to the things of the Lord, they get nervous about how to be a Christian husband or a Christian mom or how to be one who really serves the Lord, especially when they have to affect others. Now, we all know that as believers, we need to make a difference in the lives of other people. And that's not an easy task to rise up to at times. Some parents, Christian parents, see themselves as coaches helping them, uh, you know, be the best they can in some sport or maybe even coaching them as they go through life. Others basically see themselves as babysitters, really, a little more, especially when they're young, just like, oh, just uh, trying to get through the next day. Others, frankly and sadly, think that they're correctional officers, you know, just put them in prison and that's my job as a parent. But the greatest vision of parenting is that of a shepherd. And God even gives us that very same picture. It's found in the book of Psalms, Psalms 107. Psalms 107, verse 41, Yet yet setteth he the poor on high from affliction, and maketh him families like a flock. And I believe our tasks as parents, grandparents, I think our tasks really even as believers is that concept that uh, families are like flocks. They're like flocks of sheep. And our job is to shepherd them. And there's probably a little bit of coaching in that. There's probably a little bit of babysitting and maybe even being a correctional officer at times. But the fact is, being a shepherd really is the vision God casts for us. Now, it's no surprise to any of us who uh, look around today that we live in a tragic day for the American family, socially, politically, spiritually, educationally. This is a very uh, difficult season for the American family. It's a day of easy divorce, same-sex marriage. Materialism is just robbing the families of their vitality. The reassigning of parental roles, the uh, child-led homes that uh, rule the roost, the masculinization of our girls, the neutering of our young men, Even the term pro-family, even the term pro-family has been tainted by redefinition. The idea today that a family is just anybody who loves each other. And yet, in spite of all the craziness out there, there is hope. God is raising up Bible-believing, Christ-loving churches and families who shepherd others to a Savior. And that's what we're here to talk about today. Now, we're going to take a one-week break from uh, talking about the tongue, of which I'm sure you're very grateful, and uh, because talking about the tongue is very convicting. 
but um, we'll, we'll slip in a little bit of that actually this morning. Now, next Sunday, we're having a, 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 a wonderful treat for you. We're going to have actually two messages in the morning service, the Lord willing. And uh, you've heard a lot about Ukraine in the news. Well, we have a, a pastor from Ukraine who is going to take actually the main message, and he's going to preach to us in Russian. And uh, I'm not sure who's uh, um, translating. I think it's Brother Joel. But uh, anyway, it's going to be a great service. And then I'll have a sermonette, as Brother Robinette says, only this one's not a sermonette by Robinette. This is a sermonette by Pollockette. And so uh, we'll have a, a good time next Sunday as well. And we'll, so I'll, we'll talk about the tongue next week. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for the uh, vision you cast for us in training our families as shepherds. And I'll thank you for what you'll teach us today. Thank you for this Family Dedication Sunday, a very special week of the year for us. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. I know we have a few of the children already in here, and that's great. If they get a little fussy, you may feel free to take them out right after the morning service. We'll have the family dedication time. All right, let's go to Psalm 107, please. Now, Psalm 107 is a quite long psalm, not as long as, of course, Psalm 119 or one of those, but it's a, it's a great psalm. In it, the psalmist is recounting all the good things that God has done for Israel, even some very practical things like people who go down to the ship and uh, sail in the great waters will end up uh, getting uh, blessings of God, and in the extreme weather, they'll be delivered. Just a footnote here, isn't it neat uh, that 3,000 years ago, God was talking about climate change, <laughs> and He was saying God's always there to deliver His people, even in crazy weather. Then He talks about how the soil can bring forth much fruit, for His people. Uh, fact is, uh, when you're a Christian, everything's better for you, even the weather. Um, that's basically what He's saying. You have fruitful soil, you have all kinds of blessings. And then He says something unique, really, verse 41. And let's read it together, if you would. Ready? Psalm 107, verse 41, in the King James Version. Ready? Begin. Yet setteth He the poor on high from affliction, and maketh him families like a flock. So God says He helps you in the weather, He helps you, your soil be better, and He gives poor people a blessing. He gives them families like a flock. <laughs> and uh, of course, He gives people who are well-to-do families too. He wasn't saying He doesn't them, but He's just saying, if you're poor, think about the blessings of all those children, like a flock of sheep. And uh, He said, it's just a great blessing. I'm reminded of the story of Charles Spurgeon, one of the great uh, ministers of England in the 1800s, and he went to a pastor's door, and this uh, pastor uh, opened the door, and one by one, all the children came to the door, and they were poking out, looking there, and, and uh, one person said to that pastor, said, uh, oh, that's uh, all those kids, that's what makes a man poor, and he said, oh, no, that's what makes a poor man rich. And that is true. I mean, families like a flock. And that's what he's saying here. Numerous, they're useful, they're sociable, they're peaceful. And so God in this uh, passage is saying, we need to go to the animal kingdom. And we need to uh, kind of get a view of what happened there and how the shepherd works with his sheep. 
I, I love the fact that God uses the animal kingdom for so many different things. They're there to plow our fields, or back in the day, they're there to carry along people. Uh, the animal kingdom is certainly a wonderful part of the world. Now, they're not, uh, they're not the chief creation of man, but they're a beautiful creation of man. Look at Job chapter 12, and verse 7. We find Zophar, one of Job's misguided friends, <laughs> and he made a rare good point. And you can't take these friends' words as gospel truth. They have to be analyzed uh, how they compare with Scripture. That's the only way you can understand the book of Job. Zophar's words here were pretty good. Job 12 and verse 7. But ask now the beasts, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee. This week uh, we were uh, looking at a little bird, and uh, one person I was with said, well, what kind of a bird is that? I happen to know what kind it was. I'm not a, a big uh, bird uh, person knows things, but I'd happen to know this kind because we had them out on the property years ago when we first moved here. They're called a kildee, and they're little roadrunner-looking birds, and they, uh, they're the funniest birds. They are great actors. They pretend they're, uh, they're injured, and they'll kind of limp like that, you know, and they'll limp, and you'll go, oh, help the little bird, and the little bird will just kind of lead you away. Pretty soon, they've led you far away from their nest, and uh, they teach us how that we need to keep danger away from our nest. Well, um, nature is a great teacher. It's not infallible. Only the Bible is infallible. It is, however, God's creation can be certainly informational. And so today we're going to learn from the sheep, or maybe more accurately, we're going to learn from the shepherd. If we want to learn about how to be a good parent, we need to learn about how to be a good shepherd. Well, of course, there's no better shepherd than Jesus. In fact, he even used that concept. He called himself the chief shepherd. In fact, he even called those who lead churches pastors, which is the Greek word for shepherd, poiamon. It is a shepherd. And so we as sheep are going to look into this. So let's go, if you would, to John chapter 10. That's where we're going to be spending the heft of our time here this morning. Now, the John chapter 10 comes after John 9. <laughs> Amen. And uh, that's deep. Um, that's, you, have to go to, you have to go to Bible college for that one. And, uh, but John 9 sets the context for 10. That's the point I'm making. John 9, uh, we have uh, these uh, Jewish uh, fake Bible teachers, these uh, false teachers who are all upset with Jesus. He had the gall, the, the unmitigated gall to heal a blind man on the Sabbath day. Can you imagine how terrible? Jesus, of course, said in other places, he said, you know what, uh, healing is not work. Uh, it's ministry. It's an act of mercy. And he said, if your ox falls in the ditch on the Sabbath day, it's okay to take that uh, uh, ox out. It's an act of mercy. And uh, yes, God put those ceremonial laws into effect uh, to reverence the God's day. But at the same time, we need to understand what the purpose is. And that's what he was telling these people. And then Jesus turns the tables. He doesn't just take it. He gets proactive. And he turns the table and he comes after these guys. And he said, honestly, uh, the reason that I had to do this is because you guys are such terrible shepherds. You are terrible shepherds. In fact, you're nothing more than hirelings. You're 
not a shepherd at all. You don't care about the sheep. The only thing you're interested in is greed and popularity. And so he just laid it on them. In that, I think he gave, he gave seven key principles for shepherding, to being a good shepherd. And if we're going to shepherd our families, I think we'll get a good lesson from our Lord here this morning. Number one, to shepherd our families, we must lead them. John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. I am the door. And by the way, this is a good reminder of, uh, you know, some people will make fun of a fundamentalist and because we're literalists. We take the Bible at face value, and they'll even use this verse. How silly. Jesus said, I am a door. How could he be a door? Well, uh, literalism doesn't mean that everything is exactly as it means, because when it uh, makes sense, obvious sense, good sense, then that's the sense we take. But if it doesn't make sense, then we know it's an allegory. In this case, Jesus wasn't saying he's a piece of wood. He was saying, I am an entry into something. And he is the entry, of course, into heaven. He is the introduction to the Father. I am a door. I am a door. Now, if we are going to lead our children to Jesus, lead them to God, lead them to heaven, then we ourselves must first enter through the door. If we want to be an effective dad or mom, we have to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Do we have a personal relationship? And so many people today I talk to, they have a church relationship or they have a cultural relationship. You know, if they were certain culture, they were Catholic. If they have a certain culture, they're Hindu. If they have a certain culture, they're Muslim. But having a cultural relationship with God is far different than having a personal relationship with the Savior who is Jesus Christ. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? I reminded a man this week, you know, uh, when, you, when we stand before God, we're going to be alone. You're going to be there alone. Your child is going to be there alone. You must encourage your child to have a personal relationship. You're not going to be there to interpret for God. You're not going to be there to make sure that everything goes well. You can't be a helicopter parent when you stand before God. They must give an account. Every man must give account of himself to God. Do you have a personal relationship with God? I do. I have a personal relationship with God. I love my Savior. I, love, I am in love with Jesus Christ. I am. I, every single day of my life, by God's grace, I get the joy of spending time with him. Many a time, I'll uh, bow my head in the night and I'll say, Jesus, I can't wait to see you in the morning. And uh, all by myself, there with a cup of coffee, some soft music playing, and Jesus and I begin to have this wonderful time with each other. We must first have a personal relationship with God, and then we can lead our family. Every one of our children, as uh, they were lying in the crib, I gave them the gospel. And uh, I always felt a little bit uh, uh, strange, but I at the same time also felt a calling. I wanted to give them a gospel uh, appetite. I didn't want them to, the first thing they heard is to, you know, to do this or that, but to give them the gospel. In fact, when they were still in the womb, lay hands on precious Lynette and give the gospel to those children. 
Many a time I have knelt outside their room while they were babies, little children. Oh, God, save my child. Many a time I have walked around the house claiming this house for God, claiming this home for Jesus Christ. And my friend, if we're going to make a difference in life, we have to first have this personal, deep personal relationship with God himself, and then we can lead our families. These Pharisees were just terrible shepherds. By every outward standard, they were very successful. They were educated. They were smart. They dressed well. They were the leaders in society. They were well-to-do. I mean, by every outward standard, they were just, uh, they were all that. And yet, personally, they were terrible. They, they never shepherded anybody to God. But in fact, if anything, they drove people away from God. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3? He said, you know God. You know the commandments. And yet, you lack one big thing. You must be born again. You've never been born again. And unless a man is born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. You might be a Pharisee. You might be religious. You might be rich. You might be educated. You might be a leader in society. But you need to have a personal relationship with Christ. And I'll just be blunt with you. Friend, Jesus said a person who professes one thing but doesn't have a personal relationship, that is being a hypocrite. And many a times he chided the hypocrites. He said, you know, your hypocrisy is just driving people away. And I will tell you, if you want to turn your kids off, you just uh, say one thing and live another. If you want, to, you want to drive your kids away from church, you just talk one thing, but then act another way. The fact is, friends, if you want to uh, have a family shepherded to God, we need to personally have a relationship with Jesus Christ and then lead them through the door of salvation. I think one of the greatest leading tools is loving biblical discipline. Look at Proverbs 23 and verse 14. Thou should beat him with the rod. Now, the old King James Version is pretty, uh, pretty uh, uh, harsh at this moment, but it's beautiful, really. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shall deliver his soul from hell. Now, our soul, our uh, sentiment, our modern-day society rebels. It goes against our grain to even hear those words. And uh, the idea of beating them with a rod doesn't mean taking a bat and beating them to, you know, a pulver rising them. No, it just, the idea is strict discipline. It's loving discipline, of course, because so many other places it talks about true love and caring. But, and of course, at times there might be some physical discipline that has to take place, but really it's talking about here is strictness. You just don't let them eat everything they want because you're a strict mom and dad. And I think people get that sense. You're not going to let your kid eat candy every meal because, you know, that's not good for them. And the same thing is true spiritually. We need to lead them spiritually. We need to be strict. You'd say, well, I just don't think in being strict is good. No, the, act, the fact is every study always comes out the same. Loving strictness is the best form of parenting. And that is exactly what it's saying here. If you want to lead them to a Savior, and look at what the last part of that verse says. Deliver their soul from hell. Now, you'd say, how can, how can uh, disciplining my child save them? It's not saying we save them. 
It's saying we remove distractions. The truth is, uh, many parents don't even give their kids a fair chance. I mean, honestly, they're yelling at each other. They're boozing it up. They're listening to all kinds of hellish music. They just live these terrible lives. And the kids just, they're getting that all day long. We don't give them even a, a fair chance at accepting Christ. But when you have a loving home, a caring home, a Bible home, beautiful music playing, I mean, you just have a, a family like that, we lead them to a point where they can have a personal relationship. I mean, they still got to get saved personally. It's not my discipline that helps them become a Christian, but I just remove barriers. I had a neat moment with one of my grandsons here a few months back, little Joseph Pollock, uh, Pastor Luke's, uh, one of Pastor Luke's sons. He's, uh, um, I think, maybe eight or so now, or eight or nine, but uh, we were on the golf cart. We were doing some work around the property. It was Saturday morning, and, and uh, I uh, offered him a, uh, a treat. I happened to have some treats in my, uh, there, and I think it was a donut, actually. And I said, uh, Joseph, I said, here, you want a donut? He said, uh, yes. And so he took it. And uh, I noticed he didn't eat it. He kind of just set it next to himself. Now, that's kind of unique. And then uh, about uh, a minute or two later, he said, Papa. I said, what? He said, I can't have the donut. I said, well, why not, son? He said, because I, I, we can't have it right now. And I, I'm not sure if it was a family thing they were doing uh, to, away from sugar or... <laughs> Uh, Joseph uh, was having, uh, you know, some uh, things withdrawn from him. But uh, I thought, isn't that amazing? His grandfather gave him a donut. He had every reason to go back to his parents and say, I ate the sweet stuff because Papa gave it to me. I had to eat it. But he knew his, pers- his heart. And I could tell he was, he was under conviction. He just looked at me and I thought, praise God. I, uh, I was so happy later, I thought, you know what? He's got it. He's got personal conviction. And when they get personal conviction, yeah, man, that's what I want right there. And folks, we want to, we want to discipline them so that we deliver their soul from hell. We want to make sure, first of all, that we lead them. Number two, to shepherd our families, we must know them. Verse number four of John chapter 10, and when he putteth forth his own sheep, he go before them, and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Now, folks, sheep know the sound of their own shepherd. Honestly, I got interested in that little thought, and I I typed into the Google, uh, shepherd uh, calls his sheep, or sheep hear the voice of the shepherd, and a little uh, YouTube video came up. It was the most precious little YouTube video. It was a little family, uh, looked like Filipinos, that had, uh, I think they were in the Middle East, and they uh, were, they had gone to the edge of a fence, and they were doing a test. If the sheep that were out there, the 25, 30 sheep out there, if they would come. And so they were doing this call of Arabic or Hebrew or whatever they were, uh, language they were speaking, and uh, they would kind of make the sound, and those sheep didn't even move, didn't even budge. They just kept on eating that grass. Two or three of them went up there, and then finally the shepherd goes up. And they're videoing this whole thing. And uh, the shepherd goes up. He begins his little call, you know. All of a sudden the sheep all look up, and he calls them again, and they all come running over that. 
And uh, they were just, the people that were taking a little video, they were clapping. They said, oh my God, it's amazing. And I was thinking, isn't that precious? But folks, you can put hundreds of sheep together, but if a shepherd, he has his own distinct call, and they hear his voice. Here, Jesus said, they should know your voice. Well, the sad thing is, many times our children don't know our voice because they never see us. We're so busy with unnecessary of it, our hobbies, our friends, or pursuits that interfere with our lifestyle. And these kids are just a bother to us. A sad thing. Now, I'm not advocating we have to uh, be helicopter parents, you know, and hover over them everything they do. But it says they know our voice. And so I'd ask you the question this morning. Your children know your voice. What is the voice that they know? What does your voice sound like at home? Is it cheerful? Is it pleasant? Is it inviting? Or is it harsh, angry, and repelling? Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 18 says, There is the speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Here the proverb warns of cutting words, and they're tragic, because they're not just little paper cuts, they're wounds of the heart. Sometimes husbands will say things to the wife, and sometimes the wife will denigrate her own husband. Children will say things to parents, and parents to children, healthy speaking. What does the uh, home sound like? Is it pleasant? Is it warm? Is it healthy? Here it says they ought to know our voice. Do they know our voice? That means it's familiar. Do we take them with us when we shop? Do we help, do we let the boys help us when we're working on the car or doing something? Many young men grow up and never, never even know how to turn a wrench, even though their dad will turn a wrench on a car, because dad doesn't want them messing with it. He just, he's, he's bothered by it. We ought to have them right next to us. I, both of the boys were always working on cars, and I remember one of the boys, I'm not sure if it was Nathan or, or Luke, but they said, uh, dad, when I grow up, I'm not going to work on my car. I said, well, you better be rich then because you're going you're gonna to probably have to work on your car. We not only worked on the car with my sons, our dog crawled under the car. And uh, I had a pit bull mix, and that stupid dog would always crawl right under the car. Always wanted to be right where I was. And inevitably, she would take my wrench or she would take my uh, hammer and then back out with it. And uh, just so I would play with her. And man, that dog drove me crazy. And, uh, but do they know your voice? Do you work with them? And people say, well, I play with my kids. That's good. Yes, we certainly ought to play with our kids. But by the time they get about 12, you know, when they're two, it's 90% play and, uh, two, and 10% work. When they're 12, it's uh, 10% play and 90% work. When they're 12, they're supposed to be, that's when they're entering into manhood or womanhood. We ought to work together and let them see that working together is fun. Folks, some people just don't communicate. We don't communicate with our children. We don't even communicate with each other. After just a few years of marriage, filled with disagreements and arguments, a young man and his wife decided the only way to save their marriage was to try counseling. And so they arrived at the office, and the counselor jumped right in. He opened the floor for discussion. What seems to be the problem here? Immediately, typically, the husband slumped in his chair, stared at the floor, wouldn't talk, and the wife launched into her script, not talking 90 miles an hour, describing all the wrongs within the marriage. After 15 minutes listening nonstop to the wife, the counselor stood up without saying a word, 
walked over to her, still mid-sentence, picked her up by the shoulders, gave her a big hug, and then kissed her passionately and set her back down in the chair. She sat there, stunned silence. The counselor looked over at her husband, who sat there staring in disbelief what had just happened. He said to the husband, now listen to me, your wife needs that at least twice a week, every week. The husband blinked, scratched his head, and said, well, I guess I could bring her over here on Tuesdays and Thursdays then. (laughs) Believe it or not, I've met some guys that are just that out of touch for sure. They don't know the voice of their wife, and the wife doesn't know their voice. Do they know our voice? All right, we need to lead them. We need to know them. Number three, we need to model for them. Verse four, it says, when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow them, for they know his voice. A good shepherd goes before his flock. There is absolutely no way to get sheep into a pen unless you go for them. We were at a Scottish festival a couple years ago over there in Livermore. It's a really fascinating. One of the things they do is uh, they have a, a sheepdog uh, contest, and the sheepdog tries to get just one lamb into this one little pen. Oh my goodness, it is hilarious. And, but those dogs are amazing how they can, but they only have a certain amount of time, and the shepherd, you know, will call out some commands. And, uh, but trying to get one sheep into a pen, and it's wide. Imagine trying to get dozens of sheep into a pen and when the door is this big. They're just not going to go through that. There's only one way, and that is if the shepherd goes through first. And it's simple. If we want our family to speak kindly, we need to speak kindly. If we want the positive atmosphere, we need to set a positive atmosphere. We need to set the good example and to go before them. Benjamin Franklin one of America's greatest wits of our forefathers, he said, the best sermon is a good example. Someone once told me, they said, Pastor, your messages are good. We appreciate them. But your life is your best sermon. They said, I've learned more from how you react to your family, your wife, the church, just in life. I've learned more from that. I've learned more of God's truth than any of your messages. The fact is, a good sermon is really a good example. And if we want to make sure that uh, our children are going the right direction, let's just model for them. Number four, the shepherd, our family, we must teach them. Verse nine, by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and go in and out and find pasture. A good shepherd knows where to lead his family to find good pasture. Now, some folks are making sure that they get their child into the best colleges. They want to put them in USC or some Ivy League school. Folks, we ought to get our children into the Bible. They ought to be well fed by the wonderful green vegetables of the epistles, the T-bone of Romans, not the weeds of Hollywood or the sugar sweet of the candy uh, of the state schools. No, we ought to make sure they get the best food. Lead them into the Word of God. You say, how do I do that? Well, I think there's lots of good ways. First of all, I think you ought to have Christ honoring soft music playing in your house at times. You can't have it all the time, obviously, but you ought to just have uh, find good uh, Christ-honoring music. And thankfully, with Pandora and some of those other streaming uh, music things now, there's great ways to really focus what you want. Just, and I would recommend instrumental, not words. Uh, occasionally words, but instrumental. Uh, you know, there's something life-giving about instruments. 
Um, back in the Old Testament, David uh, listened to the stringed instruments. And uh, instrumentals are just uh, are anointed by God. And uh, words are, are good at occasionally. What I do in my home is I don't listen to uh, Christian songs with words very seldom other than Sunday morning. And on Sunday morning, I bump it up. And uh, I try to have a shouting fest before I come to church because I want God to get the hold of my spirit. But I would say uh, pleasant, Christ-honoring music is very helpful. And I will tell you, if you've never tried to like harp music or flute music or stringed instruments or something like that, I'm telling you what, you are missing a treat. It will, you, it's, like, it's like a miracle. You're like, what happened to my home? Like, it's just, it just sets everything in order. You start playing that kind of music, you'll go to the house, you'll start straightening all the uh, pictures up. You'll make the bed. You'll pick up the trash. There is something organizing about Christ-honoring music. It's pleasant. It's beautiful. You may think uh, I'm crazy, but I'm telling you, it's amazing. It's a miracle. I'd put uh, Christian pictures up and words. And uh, I've thought about uh, words that are around our home. And sometimes we'll put a little plaque on the wall and we'll forget it. It'll be there for 20 years or 30 years. And then someday a child will say, you remember like that plaque that was on the wall? And they'll say those words. We forget it, but they see it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Powerful to have Scripture on the wall and good uh, uh, things. It's just the best thing you can do. Another thing to do is get them into a good church. And folks, don't just go to a church because it's close. Don't just go to a church because it's big or it's small. Don't just go to a church because... You like, you know, the look of it or the name of it or whatever, folks. Go to a Bible-believing church. Do whatever it takes. If you have to drive an hour to get there, folks, get into a good church like the home church and be there every time you possibly can and avail yourself of every opportunity. Have your children just involve themselves. It is just a tremendous way to build, to, to lead them and to grow them and to help them into the right area and to make sure that they are in the good pasture. And then I would encourage family Bible time. Now, at least uh, try to do it three, to eight, three times a week. If you can do it, many people do it after dinner. You know, they had a dinner together and uh, then they have a little Bible time. Some do it in the morning. But uh, we always did it in the morning. It kind of worked best for us. But whatever time you do it, try to have a little Bible time. Of course, you'd say, well, what do I do? Well, thankfully, we've got some great resources for you here. Pastor Luke has this amazing website called Leading from the Couch. And uh, it also, you can actually get his book on that. It's just a great way to do it. But we ought to make sure that uh, we uh, lead them ourselves into good pastures. It was said that A.W. Tozier, by the way, A.W. Tozier, one of the greatest uh, Christian authors of the 20th centuries, he pastored a church in Chicago, never a large church, not much larger than ours, and yet God used him in such a mighty way with the pen, and he was a great devotional writer. He was well known for his real commitment to spending time with the Lord. Uh, there was a new minister that came into the Chicago area and looked him up and talked to him, and he said, look, if you ever uh, feel down. If you ever need some extra time of prayer, you can find me. I'll be at the Chicago shoreline. You'll find me at 5.30 every morning. And so one day, in fact, that pastor was discouraged, felt like he needed a little bit of uh, prayer time. It was about six in the morning. He kind of wondered his head, I wonder if the pastor will be there. So he got up, went over there, and sure enough, there was A.W. Tozier on his face in the sand, 
just praying down the power and the blessings of God. Folks, teach them to find their joy and their power and their strength in God. Teach them to love the Word. Teach them. Number five, we've to shepherd our family, we must guard them. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and runs, and leaveth the sheep and flees, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. My friend, we must guard our sheep from the wolves. It is our duty. It is our responsibility a hireling doesn't care. A hireling says, I'm out of here. Today we have walkout dads and walkout moms. We have uh, people just uh, leaving their children to whatever and whoever. Are we protecting our sheep? Imagine it's late at night. You hear a knock at the door. You open the door a crack and there is this creepy looking guy standing there. He looks at you and says, I would like permission to teach your children about how to have sex with different partners, with men, with women, with whoever, whatever. I would like to teach them how to disrespect their parents. I would like to teach them how to mock Christianity and to mock their pastor. And that teaches, to teach them that churches are racist and bigots and they're uneducated people. I would like to come into your house. Would you let me into your home? Of course, every one of us would say, what? We would rightfully slam the door in their face. And yet many parents do invite him in and give him free reign. His name? TV. In fact, we even let them have TVs in our own rooms. We give them video games with all kinds of sinful things on them and then make sure that they have their own smartphone. Now, I beg you, parents, I'm not saying we have to ban all this stuff, but I am saying we must. This is not an if. We must monitor them. You will, I have a responsibility as a shepherd to keep the wolves from my little sheep. And you say, well, you are being a harsh dad. You won't let them have an iPhone. Well, I will tell you, none of my boys had an iPhone. Of course, they, a little earlier than that, some of them, but when, they, when it was time, they wouldn't do it. I said, that's not going to happen. And now there are ways I know, and I'm not up to date on that, but you can ask our youth director, John Ridge. He will tell you uh, how to do that. And, and you can ask a few others, uh, good parents in here that know how to do that, but they will tell you there are ways to monitor, but do not. First of all, don't put a TV in their room. Second of all, make sure that if they have a smartphone, there is a way to monitor everything. Scripture tells us in Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence. The Hebrew says, keep with keeping. Now, it never says that about anything else. Now, it says to keep our eyes, Job 31 verse 1. It says, keep our tongues, Psalm 34 verse 13. Keep our feet, Ecclesiastes 5.1. But it says to keep with keepings our heart. Because out of the heart comes the issues of life. Keep up. Make sure that we uh, keep things. It's amazing to me how dads will spend thousands of dollars on a security system. We'll make sure they have a bulletproof backpack, and then we'll hand them an iPhone, a smartphone, without even any kind of monitors. Folks, the, whatever outside uh, issues are minimal compared to what's going on in the heart 
Protect that heart. I heard a parent this week say something so ridiculous. They said, we let our children choose their religion. Really? Now, I know they think they're just being this wonderful person and letting them make such a personal choice. In fact, that is absolutely moronic. That is stupid. We don't let them do that in any other area of the street. We're not talking about ice cream here, folks. I mean, yeah, if they want to choose chocolate or strawberry, whatever, it's not, a, it's not an issue. But when it's talking about truth, you don't let them choose. Well, we let our children choose whether they believe two plus two is four or not. We just let them choose. If they believe it or not, we don't care, whatever their choice is. No, you say, look, two plus two is four. Well, I don't, I don't want that. I don't care what you want. Two plus two is four. That's what you're going to believe. And that's what we do with truth. We don't give them Muslim, Hindu, Christianity, and whatever you choose. No, you give them truth and tell them this is right. That is error. That's what we do. That's what a shepherd does. It guards them from the wolf. Number six, the shepherd, we must serve them. Therefore, doth the Father love me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Now, the primary interpretation of this verse, I don't want to miss, this is Christ referring to his own sacrificial death on the cross. He gave all for us. But I want you to notice that phrase, he laid down his life. He laid down his life. Now, there's things that all of us would like to do if we had all the time and all the money for just us. Me time, we call it. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. But folks, uh, I'm saying not at the expense of these sheep. A shepherd doesn't say, I need some me time. Whatever you want to do, sheep, you're on your own for the next you know, day or so. No, we, we make sure that everything's cared for. And I just want to say a good word for the wonderful, uh, good men of our church. I will tell you, I know that many of our hardworking dads wish they could spend more time, and they wish they could be there as often as they'd like to, and their job doesn't allow them to. And I want to say another good word for the ladies of our church, that God bless them. Many of them hardworking, rise up early, stay up late, and uh, many of them even add extra income into the home. Thank God for you. And I know it's not easy. You wish you could spend more time, but I will say this. They know that you are laying down your life for them. They know what you're doing. I lay down my life for others. And one of the best ways you can lay down your life is by serving God. When they see you go off to church to serve the Lord, when they see you get up and say, let's go over there and pour concrete or let's sing in the choir or let's do things, let's serve the Lord. When they see you serve the Lord, that you are telling them that serving is more important than maybe some little hobby I'd like to do. I love sports. Two of my favorite sports are tennis and golf. One of the greatest American tennis players was a man by the name of Arthur Ashe. He was in the 1970s. He was the only black man to ever win the singles title at Wimbledon, U.S. Open, and the Australian Open. He was an amazing player. Also, uh, really a, a brilliant uh, in his quotes. I've read many of them, actually. Listen to this one. True heroisms. People would call him a hero. He's a sports hero. He said, true heroism is remarkably sober and very undramatic. It is not the urge to surpass all others at whatever the cost, but the urge to serve others at whatever the cost. 
the urge to serve others at whatever the cost. And that's really, if we're going to be there for our family, we must uh, lay down our life so that we can serve them. How do we be a good shepherd? Number seven this morning, and I'm going to hurry to shepherd our family. We must support them. But he is an hireling and not the shepherd whose own sheep are not. Seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he can hireling and he careth not for the sheep. Supporting them. Now, why does the hireling run when things get rough? Because he doesn't care about supporting them when things get rough. And today we find our flocks in trouble. Our childrens are difficult. They're a handful. And we say, man, it's so hard with all these children. I'm like, yeah. If you're a hireling, you run. But if you're a shepherd, you're there for their support. But this is difficult. Yeah, it is. Boy, I remember people say, we had five teenage daughters. How in the world? <laughs> five teenage daughters, I would tell them, you know, I will tell you, I wouldn't know what to do without these five beautiful girls. They bless me more than I bless them. But I, I will say, it's been my goal, my heart to be there for them and to support them. Well, it's not easy when the things are going bad. I know it's not always easy, and it's a, it's a big responsibility to have a husband or wife. Oh, I can hardly take care of myself. I wouldn't want to be married. Well, maybe you ought to set some things aside, and, and maybe you ought to be married, and maybe it ought to be a good thing for you. So I know some that's not something that's part of your life, and that's okay if that's what the Lord wants. But on the other hand, maybe we ought to be willing to support and get there and be next to somebody and support them through life. James Dobson famously said, parenting is not for cowards. <laughs> and it's true. If you're a coward, if you're a hireling, then fine. Just go ahead and live for yourself and buy yourself your little beamer and make sure you go to your gym class and have your wine and Bible studies. Whatever you got to do, go for it. But if you want to be a woman of God, a man of God who supports others and, and is a shepherd to them, then get behind them in the tough times. Don't run because it's a little difficult. You say, well, how can I build a support system for my family? Four very important ways. I'll leave this with you. Number one, share your appreciation. Share it. Show them that you appreciate them. Tell them that you care about them. And when you're doing it, admire their character, not just their beauty or their talent. I really appreciate the diligence that it took to, uh, you know, get an A in this class. I really appreciate the fact that you have worked so hard to, uh, uh, you know, to get through this sport or do this, uh, but to share your appreciation. Tell your wife you appreciate what she does. Tell your husband, dear lady, you appreciate all that he does. Admire character. Share your appreciation constantly. You'd say, well, how much? You've got to do it to the point you feel like it's too much. And then it's probably just about right. <laughs> because uh, we need to share our appreciation. Number two, pursue quality family time. Oh, that's what we love to do. And, you know, we love to go to this park or that. Look, there are two primary ways, I think, to have quality family time. Meal times, if you possibly can, whether it's breakfast, whether it's lunch, or for many people, a good time to do it is meal times, even if it's 6 o'clock or 6.30 or 7. Uh, but to have a, a din dinner time together is absolutely just 
vital. And uh, have a table set. Don't just sit in front of a TV. Have the table set. Sit down there. Start with prayer. Have nice music playing. Have family time. And, when, and when, during that time, ask pleasant questions. It's not the time to, you know, to get on everybody. It's not the time to call them down. It's the time to ask wise questions. How was your day? Tell me about the things of your day. And what kind of things uh, were good today? What, what did you hear? What did you read in the Bible this morning? And who did you talk to about the Lord today? I mean, just quality family time. The second thing, serve the Lord together. Find a way to serve the Lord together. Certainly just go to church. But I mean, get involved in things in the church. And when they have we have dramas or we have outreaches or different things. I mean, just get together, folks. That is the best quality family time. People say they want to, you know, play soccer together. You know, okay, well, I mean, there can be some good and all that. But, folks, the, the quality comes from good family meal times and serving the Lord together. Number three, have healthy communication. And that's what I just talked about. Communicate. Talk. It'd be all right to put down your iPhone for a minute, sis. It'd be all right to put down your iPad for a while, brother. Come on now. Let's put it down and let's lay down our life. <laughs> let's lay down our life. That's meaning put down your iPhone. That's what that meant in Scripture. And uh, lay down my life. <laughs> it's in, have you ever read how many times we look at our iPhone? Or I mean, it's like hundreds of times a day. That's our life. So lay down our life, have healthy communication, be proactive about it. That means be determined, actually ask questions of your wife. How was your day? You'd say, well, I already know how her day was. She, she had to clean up pee-pee off of this, and she had to do that. Folks, just ask her anyway. Ask her how it went, and, uh, and, and ask your husband healthy questions. Number four, and this is absolutely above all else, pray for them regularly. My friend, if you don't do anything else as a parent, pray for them regularly. You must have their back. You must have their back. And every child and every grandchild, there is somebody at the throne of God who is saying, God, if you don't do something, they're going to be lost. God, save little Levi. Oh, God, save Joseph, and God, use him, and God, protect Lindsay. Give her a heart that serves for you, that loves you, and wants to serve you, and hates sin, and loves her church, and loves her parents. Oh, God, bless Aaron. Bless Nathan. Oh, God, bless Rachel. Bless her. You know what? We have got to be with our, we have, someone's got to go to the throne. I, if I have to, I'll give up personal time so that I can have time at the throne. Now, it would be good to do both, but I, I, one thing I won't give up is spending time with Jesus because I know that that's my job. God says He hears the prayers of those that have jurisdiction. He hears the prayers of those who have jurisdiction. I know God's given me a jurisdiction in my marriage. I know He's given me jurisdiction in my family and as a result of that, I have a responsibility to pray. I, it's not just an option. That is, my, that is one of my prime responsibilities to pray for them regularly. Do you pray with your wife? Do you pray with your husband? Do you pray? 
Pray. It's not to be long prayers and to be some great theological things. Friends, just pray. Just pray. Pray before you go in the morning. Pray before you go to bed at night. And, and let's just let's make our lives people that love each other, kind speaking, praying families, shepherding them to the cross. I have an illustration, but I run out of time. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.